then we'll see Chris on the screen. Um, if you have your Bibles, if you have your devices or what other way, whatever other way you connect with the Scriptures, please open it to John chapter 1, commencing at verse 19. John chapter 1, verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptise if you are not the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? I baptise with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptising. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptising with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptise with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. one um, so well. I, I do want to open with an apology for not being able to be uh, with you uh, this morning uh, in, in person, but uh, we've, uh, I guess in some ways, kind of mastered the technology and there's an opportunity uh, for us to still hear God's word, for me to still uh, bring that to you. It's a great privilege as always. So uh, keep your Bibles open, John chapter 1 from verse 19 through to 34, and I'm going to open in prayer and we'll hop straight in. Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity, uh, even though it's another weird way or a strangely different way to what we're familiar with. We thank you that your word is still powerful. It's powerful when it's spoken. It's powerful when it's read. It's powerful when it's preached and proclaimed. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, quicken our minds and our hearts. May we be open to hearing and receiving from you this morning as we continue to work our way through the Apostle John's Gospel, as he bore witness uh, to Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. And so it's in his name uh, we pray this morning. 
Amen. Well, we certainly do live in a culture where Jesus uh, has so many people following him or claiming to follow him. He is certainly a figure in history that uh, is very, very popular. Uh, many people claim to know him. Many people claim to know a little bit about him. Some claim to worship him. Others, like ourselves, uh, practice regularly gathering together in, our, in order to worship him and to hear from him. It seems most people everywhere, even outside of the church, will have at least some understanding or perspective, or opinion at least, on who Jesus is. If I was to take uh, two examples from, um, not current examples, but uh, from recent years in our culture, Marilyn Manson, uh, the famous shock rocker, uh, he said this about Jesus. He said, if I found Jesus, I don't think he'd be all that different to me. Well, if you know what uh, Marilyn Manson looks like, uh, if you have any idea of some of his lyrics, uh, you would know how laughable that statement is. Uh, or what about another celebrity who has an opinion about Jesus? Uh, Pamela Anderson, the one who made a white t-shirt slogan uh, famous in, in what she said about Jesus. Uh, I say at least she was wearing a white t-shirt, but this is her quote. Uh, Christians say that you need a personal relationship with the Lord. She says, well, I do. Jesus is my homeboy. I'm not ashamed to tell the world that even though I find Christians intolerant and boring, I find Jesus cool in a trendy sort of way. Well, Jesus might still be popular today, but there are lots of different views about who he is. People who, by their own opinion, are bearing witness to him in all kinds of weird ways. And the question must be asked, how well do they really know him? How well do we really know him? And have, uh, has everyone accepted him on his terms, according to those witnesses who lived with him and who lived closely with him, listened to him and saw what it was he did as they followed him? Well, as we continue uh, with the last part or the second last part of John chapter 1, as it continues, we're introduced to someone who was a witness to Jesus. And a reliable one. Not only John the Apostle who's written this gospel, but perhaps this is the very first public witness to testify about Jesus and point people to him. And we've had a little look at him briefly over the past couple of weeks, but this witness was a young man at the time known as John the Baptist. And his ministry was to tell people in order to help them recognise that Jesus of Nazareth at the time was God's promised Messiah. Now, John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer is a more accurate title for him. Uh, John is an unusual character. Um, he lives in the wilderness. He lives outside of and away from most cities and towns. He's got some strange eating habits that he's developed while living in the wilderness. Uh, he even has a stranger fashion sense. In fact, someone once quipped that uh, some, John the Baptist is not unlike that kind of strange cousin that everyone has. Um, in their family, you know, the odd one out, the, the usual, it's usually a fella, uh, the usual fella who kind of does his own thing and loves the great outdoors a little bit too much. Um, but what do we learn about this John the Baptist? What do we know about him? And what can we learn about the way he bears witness to Jesus and how that might impact the way we can bear witness to Jesus today? Well, firstly, we learn about who John the Baptist is not rather than who he is. The religious authorities, um, they go out on this day. John the Apostle tells us this in our passage. The religious authorities, they go out to find out who John the Baptist really is. They're a bit curious about him. 
Uh, he's uh, not one to fit into the religious mould or the establishment of the day, um, but he's out there baptising people in the river, uh, and yet he hasn't been to Bible college. He hasn't had formal training. He's not accredited or ordained as a religious leader. But as John chapter 1, 20 to 21, we see these answers that John gives to the questions of the religious leaders. And his answers uh, are a way of John identifying who he is by saying what he's not. Have, have a listen again. He says, I'm not the Christ. As soon as these guys turn up, he says to them, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. And so they asked him, they said, well, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. So they said, are you a prophet? And he said, no. Now, John is pretty blunt, not a man of many words at this point, which makes sense when we realise that John is determined not to make what's happening about him. He's saying, it doesn't really matter about who I am. It doesn't really matter what I'm about. What really matters is the one of whom I'm speaking about, the one I'm trying to point people to. Now, don't forget that at the time, there was a great sense of anticipation, of expectation in Israel. Um, the Jews were very, very excited that the one promised by God, the Christ, who had been promised centuries earlier, uh, or the anointed one, was about to come and he was going to lead and deliver his people from the oppression of the Roman rule that they lived under. And their expectation uh, for whoever that was going to be was that they'd come in the line of David, King David. And you remember who King David was to them? King David was arguably their greatest and mightiest king at the prime of their nation's history. And the question asked by the religious leaders of John the Baptist, about, uh, who are curious about whether he's Elijah or one of the prophets, is all part of this Old Testament prophecy, this Old Testament um, heralding of who was to come with the Messiah. You see, these Old Testament figures, whether it be Elijah or another prophet, were expected to turn up around the same time as this anticipated Messiah, the Christ, would turn up. So John says straight up, hey, it's not me. I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah and I'm not the prophet. So then who is he? Well, John goes on to say something about himself. But again, there's nothing in what he says that makes out that he's someone special or anyone more important or great. In fact, he, he says, he puts the focus still on someone else. This is what he says in verse 23. He says, he says that he sees himself as a voice. <laughs> I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. So who's John? Well, he's just a voice. He's an announcer. It doesn't matter about him. He's come to testify about the greatness of someone else. And those with listening ears in Israel would know that John is quoting from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. It's in our Bibles in chapter 40, verse 3, an amazing chapter worth reading often if you want to get a sense of confidence in who our God is. But this is a clue as to John the Baptist's unique ministry. He's come to proclaim something special, something amazing about what God is up to in his world for his people. John is this voice that's proclaiming this new work that God is doing. And he's the voice of one calling in the prophet, uh, calling in the desert, which the prophet Isaiah foretold many centuries earlier. I don't know about you, but um, as sad as it was, uh, did anyone see the Shane Warne tribute at the MCG a week or so ago? It was really an amazing night of sentiment, wasn't it? An outpouring of appreciation for a unique sporting character, someone who's influenced us, certainly my generation at least, in fact, right across the generations. Does anyone remember 
who the voice was that introduced and commentated behind the specific video segments of that service. You, you know, it would cut to, I'm not talking about Eddie McGuire, I'm talking about a voice that was behind the commentary of the, um, the, uh, the segments of video about Shane Warne. There was a voice there that, that would narrate it. Um, it would narrate what's happening in the photos, what's happening in video footage, and this voice would be introducing to us a shining light uh, and shining light on Warney's life. He was telling us something new about Warney or something that perhaps we already knew, but something we were told about him. But you know, those of us listening to that voice in the stadium and on our TVs, this all came from an announcer. None of us know who that announcer was. It's a voice coming from somewhere that gave us information. The voice isn't important, right? Who the voice is isn't important. What's important is that we remember what the voice is saying. We don't really care who the voice is, but we do need to care for the purpose of what the voice is bringing to us. And that is to point us to someone even greater and more important. And that's what John the Baptist is like. He's an announcer. He has this message, a voice to be heard and to be understood, but it's a message not about himself at all. It's a message about someone far greater. John the Baptist bears witness to Jesus by proclaiming and calling and calling all those who might be willing from amongst God's people to prepare themselves for the coming of God's Messiah, God's King. And if we want to nickname him, JB was one of the first real live witnesses to who Jesus was and is and what it was he came to do. Well, just a little bit about the baptism. What was the baptism that John was doing? What was that all about? See, the baptism John offered was unique for that time. It's not like uh, how we practice baptism today in our tradition or in any other tradition within churches today. This was more of a, um, a baptism of repentance and preparation. It, it was a baptism uh, that sort of like a cleansing ceremony for God's people to come, to undertake uh, as Jesus had come and he was about to begin his public ministry, teaching and living out God's kingdom. Something special was happening. And ultimately, of course, to give his own life away. But as great as Jesus was and is, for many people, they were more interested in John the Baptist. It was a bit like, it's a bit like when you go to a band and you're more interested in the, the warm-up act than you are the, um, the main event. John the Baptist had become a very popular figure. He was a robust kind of guy and the masses swarmed to him. But despite the witness to Jesus that he bore, for the most part, the masses missed completely who it was he was talking about and who he was pointing to. They didn't see Jesus clearly. They, they never gave up on their expectations. Um, he didn't live up to their idea. Jesus didn't live up to their idea of what God should be like. He was, after all, a man from Nazareth. What, possibly, what, possibly, what possible good could come from Nazareth? He was born under scandalous circumstances. People would still remember that from 30 years earlier. But John wants the masses at the time to know this, and he still wants us today to clearly see Jesus for who he is. Because it's only when we see Jesus clearly that we can know how to respond to him. This is what John says in verse 26 to 27. He says, there's someone coming after me, someone whose straps of their sandals I'm not worthy to even untie. Here's John, a celebrity in his own right, in his own day. People coming from everywhere to hear him. And he says, guys, you're coming to me, but it's not about me. I'm not the most important person here. There's someone so much bigger than me, so much more important than me. I'm not even worthy to do up his shoelaces. 
And as Jesus turns up in verse 29, it says the next day, John points and he says, look, here he is. This is the one I've been telling you about. Here is the guy that I have spent my life pointing you to over this past season. This is the Lamb of God. And it's he who takes away the sins of the world. For John, it was crystal clear. When he looks at Jesus, he says without hesitation, this is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's a reference, of course, to the Old Testament, where lambs are presented as a sacrifice to take away the sins of the people. And John flags right from the start that this Jesus, that this lamb will be sacrificed. And just like those lambs are sacrificed week in, week out, uh, by one person or by a family as they're brought to the temple, he'll be one that takes away the sins of the entire world. That, that's who John the Baptist wants us to see right up front. It's to Jesus as God's sent king that John the Baptist is bearing witness to. Jesus, the one who can take away the sins of the world. John the Baptist couldn't do that. None of us can do that. No man can possibly do that. This unique Jesus, the God-man, is the only one who could do that. Of course, we know uh, what Jesus would do as the Lamb of God. Jesus will actually sacrifice himself. Just like the faithful Israelites would go and sacrifice one of the lambs in the temple to have their sins forgiven. It would be completely different, but Jesus would sacrifice himself and it would be a final sacrifice. One last sacrifice, not just for one family, not just for one person, but for all time and for all people who would listen clearly and respond in faith to Jesus. The living word of God in the flesh, giving up his own life for sinners like you and I. Well, how does John know this? Have a look at verses 31 to 34. And uh, just part of it, this is what John says when he first met Jesus. He says, I didn't recognise him as the Messiah, but I've been baptising with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John testified, one day I was baptising and I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven resting upon this Jesus. I didn't know who, that he was the one, but God sent me to baptise with water. And when he did, he told me this. He said, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest upon is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. John says, I saw this happen to Jesus. And so I'm here to testify that he is the chosen one of God. John's ministry and mission was to obey God's call on his life, to bear witness to the coming Messiah, Jesus. And he was told to go into the wilderness, prepare God's people for this, and then his great plan, God had told John that one day, one of the people you baptise is going to be different. But you won't know until you see, until you hear, as another account tells us, the voice came from heaven and affirmed that this is my son, said this voice from heaven, said God. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. No wonder John can get excited about the day that he saw Jesus coming towards him. You, you, you can just imagine it, can't you? Look, here he is again. This is him, the one, the Lamb of God. He's the one that I've been pointing to. He's the one I'm bearing witness to. He's the one that'll take away the sins of the world. Well, what about you and I? As we wrap up, what about lessons that we can learn from John's witness bearing to Jesus? Well, just three quick points that I'd like for us to reflect upon. First of all, John was obedient to God's call in his life. He was obedient to God's call 
in bearing witness to Jesus. John didn't shy away from it. He didn't play down the mission of God. He didn't run away from the mission of God. Even though it meant living in the wilderness, eating strange food for a while and dressing a bit differently uh, and looking a little rough, it wasn't a glamorous calling and yet it was an important calling. And John was obedient to God. There's a question here for us. There's a question here for me, for all of us. How obedient to God's calling to bear witness to Jesus are each one of us being? And that, of course, points us to have to think carefully about what it is we are doing as witnesses to Jesus. What has God called us to? What specifically? What gifts might he have given us? What calling has he um, called us to? Which area has he asked us to consider going into, to follow him into, in ways to bear witness to Jesus? Well, the second thing John did was this. John played down his own importance in witnessing to Jesus. And he only focused on Jesus as the one to point people towards. John played down his own appointment, his own appointments, and instead he pointed people to Jesus. You know, our witness needs to be like that. It needs to be all about Jesus and not so much about us. And for some of us, some personalities, we've got to work harder at this than others. When we share of our faith, when we testify to what God has done in our lives, ask yourself this question. Is it all about me? Is it all about how better I've been made to feel? Is it all about um, how I've overcome something? Or is it all about how, how good I now feel or how good I now am because of what God's done? Or is it focused on Jesus and his goodness? Is it emphasising the undeserved grace that we received from Jesus, about what he's done for us, about his sacrifice, his undeserved mercy in giving away his life on our behalf? How might you and I ensure that our witness is actually about Jesus and the focus of our lives and our testimony about him is not so much about ourselves? There's a great quote that comes from this summary and I think one of the disciples even declared it. More of him and less of me. More of him and less of me. That's something we really need to work hard at, isn't it? A question we need to be asking ourselves. When I bear witness to Jesus, when people in my uh, circles of friendships in my family units, in my neighbourhood, in my workplace, when those that I rub shoulders with, when they learn or discover or find out I'm a Christian, I claim to be a follower of Jesus, what witness am I, uh, am I, am I bearing? How am I pointing people to Jesus in the way I act, the way I speak, the way I serve, the way I love, the way I respond, even the way um, I express discontent with the world? All those sorts of things. They're huge challenges, aren't they? Well, the third challenge for us, and I think this is perhaps the biggest one, most relevant for today, and that is this. John was clear in the purpose for which Jesus came. And that was to take away the sins of the world by sacrificing himself as a sacrificial lamb in death. And this is something worth really thinking hard and long about. John's ministry, you see, was mostly to God's people. It was primarily to Israel for a specific purpose. So they had a background. They had an understanding of what God was going to do for them. They knew that God had saved them in their history. It was clear. They practiced it. They did rituals. We're going to do it next Sunday, by the way, on Easter Sunday. We're going to get um, led through a beautiful Passover ceremony, which was something the Jews practiced to remind themselves of how God in the past had intervened and had saved them 
from slavery. So this is what's going on in their background. They knew what God was like. They have an understanding of what he's up to. Even so, they, they did often misunderstand that and they replaced it with other things like nationalism, right? pride in who they are as Israelites, uh, or perhaps in the hope of political restoration, um, the, the, the restoring of political power, like back in the day when King David ruled and the kings were great. Or perhaps it was over bringing back control of the land. And they exchanged what they knew about God and what he could do and what he had done for them in the past for all sorts of other things that they hoped God would do or would like for God to have done. When all along God's purpose has always been to forgive the world for our sins, our rebellion against him. God's purpose in Jesus was very clear and you can see it throughout the Old Testament but specifically to those that bore witness to him. It was to give away his life. He came to save the lost, the Jew first, the Gentile second, and he came to do so by sacrificing himself. God sent his king and had him slaughtered as a sacrificial lamb for the sins of the world. That's a huge challenge for us today as witnesses. And do you know why? Because we don't live in a culture anymore that like the time of Israel under Roman rule in, in, um, in first century Palestine in Jesus' day, had some sort of background and understanding and expectation of God. And our culture knows very little about sin. Our culture today, in fact, has all but wiped the concept out of our uh, popular cultural psyche. Um, we know that we are sinned against and we know there are sins that happen, but we have removed ourselves from having any responsibility about those things. The concept that you and I as sinners, every single one of us, no matter how good we are, uh, and that we're, we at the very least contribute to the shortcomings, to the failures, to the atrocities, uh, to the work of evil in this world that is often perpetuated by our own sinfulness and our own self-centeredness. That's what sin is. It's self-centeredness. It's putting self at the centre rather than God at the centre, our creator. No, that's not the talk that we have today, is it? That's the talk of crazy religious types. That's not sophisticated for us today in our world. Our world has moved beyond that. We're too enlightened, we're too modern uh, for that kind of primitive, guilt-driven superstition. And so in our culture today, we're tempted to water down, even as Christians, to water down and change the message of Jesus, to not talk about our sin and our personal responsibility and culpability for it, to, to, to not focus on the main reason why Jesus came, and that was to forgive the world for their sins, to forgive us as individuals, to forgive us as communities, to forgive the self-centeredness that we are all born into and consumed by and that Jesus was going to die for our sins. He was going to take our place on our behalf, dying the death that we deserved instead of us. But instead, what do we do? I think sometimes we're tempted to talk about how Jesus can make us better people, that Jesus serves as this wonderful example, as this um, beautifully enlightened, harmoniously connected guru with God, with the creator, a man who was selfless and we can model our lives off and try to aspire to be like. Or perhaps um, we talk about Jesus as being our, our ticket, the one who's going to make our lives more prosperous, the one who's going to bring success to us, make us more successful in whatever it is that we're trying to achieve in life. And in some ways we can become like the Marilyn Mansons and the Pamela Andersons of the world. They bear witness in the end to a completely different Jesus, 
not to the Jesus that John the Baptist and John the Apostle bore witness to. And, and, and their testimony and their witness is a fabricated one. It's one they've made up, they've conjured up in their own making. Well, the challenge I think for us, the challenge certainly for me is to make sure we stay on point in the way we bear witness to Jesus, just like John did, right up, straight up front. This is the Lamb of God. This is the one sent to be a sacrifice for our sins, to pay the penalty we all deserve. It may be an unpopular message, but that's bearing witness fully and wholly to Jesus. My prayer for us, church, is that um, as we bear witness to Jesus, we'll do so faithfully. As we bear witness to Jesus, we'll listen to those who are closest to him, over and above what we'd like to think or what other people like to think or what other people claim to have experienced. My prayer is that we would be faithful to the truly life-giving God that put on flesh, that became one of us, that came in the flesh to give away his life and to forgive us of our sins through his death and resurrection. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for the message of Jesus. We thank you again for the clarity with which it comes to us, for the way, Holy Spirit, you have preserved the eyewitness accounts over many centuries, for the way that you um, aliven this uh, witness, this revelation of who God the Father is through the accounts of Jesus Christ and his teachings and his actions. Father, all of us here um, are highly aware that we are sinful by nature. We are highly aware that in Christ we have been given new natures, now, that does not mean we are no longer without sin, but in your eyes we are because of Christ who lives in us, and yet we still struggle with our selfishness. We still wrestle with temptations. Father, we're still tempted to look at and to give worship, worship to other things that are far inferior to you as the God who created us. And so once again, we pause to ask for forgiveness in the confident hope and trust that you are a God who has already forgiven us in Christ. We lay claim to the power of his death and resurrection on our behalf. We look forward to next weekend celebrating this and focusing on it in a special way together. We pray in advance, Father, for the lives that you may bring amongst us, for visitors who will come next Easter weekend at either of our services, who may be there amongst us who, who don't perhaps get along or aren't a part of a church community, who have been really knocked around by situations and circumstances in this world over recent years. Father, we ask that you would give us ears to hear as we bear witness. May we be sensitive as your people to listen to where people are at with you and to be ones that point them to Jesus, more about him, less about us. Father, we ask this not for our glory, not for numbers, but we ask this for your kingdom to grow through us as a small group, a small gathering, of one of your local churches. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church. Um, I do hope uh, to be worshipping with you next weekend as we celebrate uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus in a significant way. God bless you, and I'll see you next week.